Hello out there. So before, before we go into the intro to our next guest, I wanted to first and foremost, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to my podcast. And if you haven't done so, please hit subscribe, follow it, share it with your friends, because that's really the only way to, to really truly get the word out that this exists. It also helps uh, increase the awareness uh, of uh, things that physicians can do to help themselves spiritually, mentally, physically, and and that is my mission. My mission is to increase that awareness, and with your help, we can do that. So please subscribe, follow us, share with your friends, and uh, enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the Practice Impossible Podcast, where your host, Jude Pierre, MD, also known as Coach JPMD, discusses medical practice topics that will guide you through the maze that is the business of medicine and teach you how to increase profits and help populations live long. Your mission, should you choose to accept, is to listen and be transformed. Now, here's your host, Coach JPMD. Today, we're going to have a conversation with uh, Dr. Pariksit Singh, who's a board-certified internal medicine physician who actually recruited me to the Spring Hill area in uh, 2002. You know, I can go through this long bio that uh, Dr. Singh sent me, and uh, I'll, I'll put that in the show notes. But really, the conversation today is, is not really about medicine. Uh, it's about real estate and real estate and medicine. And, and I, you know, over the past couple of years, I had not realized how important real estate is in um, and, uh, really accumulating wealth and, um, and uh, creating a sustainable income that is uh, independent of you working, seeing patients, and uh, doing a lot of the hard work that many of us do in this in our profession. So uh, it wasn't until I, I had my one good real estate deal, and that was uh, purchasing my, my own practice, my own, um, my own office where my practice is now. Uh, prior to that, I had been renting from Dr. Singh and uh, his organization, and he owned property uh, throughout Spring Hill. And uh, it was so interesting how, if you look at his footprint, everywhere he had an office, there was also everywhere he had a physician, it was an office that he actually owned and rented to that physician. So uh, you can imagine the amount of um, income that uh, he generated doing this. And so uh, in, this, in, in today's podcast, I want to really describe or have Dr. Singh describe how he accumulated real estate, what his pearls of wisdom are in that, um, in that journey for him, uh, being a successful physician, as well as an entrepreneur, starting an HMO, starting an IPA, starting many other businesses as well. But I think a lot of that uh, was helped by his um, his love of real estate. And um, so I- I'm going to uh, enjoy this conversation with Dr. Singh and uh, hear what he has to say. So here we go. We are live. And uh, we're here with uh, Dr. Pariksa Singh from uh, Spring Hill, Florida. And uh, we're here to talk about real estate particularly commercial real estate. And uh, I, I feel that Dr. Singh is uh, the guru in commercial real estate uh, when, it, when it comes to managed care and managed care practices. So uh, I'll let Dr. Singh introduce, introduce himself. Tell us who you are and uh, give us some history on uh, Access Healthcare. Hi, Jude. Thank you for having me here. Um, I'm Pariksit Singh. I'm a physician. I've been in uh, Spring Hill, Florida for almost... 25 years now. Uh, initially, I started as an employed physician for five years. And then when our em- uh, employer uh, kind of retired, then we bought his practice. Uh, at that time, essentially, we were two physicians, one office, 
Dr. Maria Scanziano and I. And over the last 20 years, it has grown. Uh, it is actually exactly 20 years because in June we started, in June of 2001. And uh, we have, uh, thank God, done well and things have grown in our medical practice and our, uh, our uh, real estate portfolio. And yeah, it's interesting. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I was I'm, I'm thinking about the the timing because I've been here since 2002. So really, it was a year after you started Access that I started. That's right. You, you were That's the, crazy. Yeah, you were the first one, and uh, you were very good with Excel sheets. So I still remember those, uh, and those are very helpful, by the way. Even though, I, yeah. yeah, you didn't say that 20 years no, ago I didn't. when you when you uh, <laughs> tortured me in that conference. That's room. Right. That's right. Um, so a lot of things we have learned over the years, you know, practical things. And I think there is something to be said by the way you approached it in a very methodical, systematic way, breaking down the numbers. And how you, I used to approach it was more, more gut feeling, instincts, getting a kind of a horse sense, if one may use the word. Uh, and that's a personality trait. And then you need both. You know, the, you need the yin and the yang. You balance out the creativity with crunching the numbers. And that uh, that is critical because otherwise that's when you make mistakes. A lot of people are overly critical, then they get paralyzed. A lot of people are overly emotional and instinctive, but then they don't do the homework and due diligence. And so both have to be uh, focused on, both have to be prized. Um, and if you've read that book from Malcolm Gladwell, Blink, you know, instinctively, you know a few things. As you do more, you know instinctively, but then you have to break it down because you have to make sure you authenticate that, you validate your instinct, and then you know the more you break it down, the more you know of the of the whole, uh, you know, any practice, any real estate that you're looking at. Yeah, so you're, you're talking about things that maybe you didn't know when you first started Access because Access has, was, very, was a smaller organization, and now we're... I don't know how many physicians we are now. We're about 500, you know, owned and affiliate. Wow. And so we've grown a lot. And in terms of uh, real estate, um, do you own every single practice or every single building where those 500 physicians are? Or how, how do you manage that? Because I, that's something that, you know, when I first started, I was renting yes. the office space, you know, through my income guarantee, through yes. one of the local hospitals. And I realized, oh, my gosh. There's a lot of money going out and just rent yes. payments. So, no, it's absolutely so. We don't own every uh, property where we have offices for various reasons. One is that the owner doesn't want to uh, sell it, and we like that location, and that's okay. You can try to have a great uh, tenancy model where you are a tenant, and it's okay. Uh, or places where you have a good. Uh, property with good uh, uh, numbers and that's where you uh, put your office and then they kind of augment each other. And then there are, we have buildings where we have no offices uh, and those uh, do well too. So you got to balance. It's, you have to look at it as a separate business in itself at some point. See, make sure it makes uh, numbers. Although at times you have to change that too and say, okay, this location is too important for a medical practice. So I'll make a little... Uh, you know, uh, step outside the box and get it in just because I want the location. But ideally, you should look at it as a separate business in itself. 
So, so obviously, the healthcare business didn't start off as a as a real estate business. So, you had Access Healthcare. You grew that to five hundred plus physicians and affiliates, yes. um, generating a significant amount of revenue. I'm sure yes. with that. But then there's the the HMO and the the IPA and other organizations. So, how or when did you kind of separate out? The real estate business from the medical practice. It happened very early, Jude, in 2001 when we we bought the practice from our um, the employer um, who wanted to kind of phase out, um, and so when we bought it, and then uh, a friend of ours offered to sell uh, us land on uh, 19, which is the road that connects uh, Pasco and Hernando County, and I was very naive, so you know I he. Two acres, $235,000. He said, you can have it. You can have a location. You can have an office. And knowing nothing, and that's the problem with us physicians, uh, since we are good at one thing, we think we're good at everything. Mm -hmm. So I asked our attorney. Attorney said, no, that's not a good deal. I still went ahead and bought the property. And I can tell you that area has not grown in the last 20 years. Nothing. That area is still as dead and dry as it was 20 years ago. Don't ask me why. If you go down south on from your uh, office on 19, you will find this patch from Hernando to Pasco. There's almost a patch of four or five miles. Nothing. It's like a desert in terms of commercial activity. And so that was a mistake. Uh, although we eventually took advantage of it and, and made money out of it. But uh, really, that was a poorly executed uh, real estate deal. And I'll tell you why also. No no diligence. Um, so there were wetlands. One third of it is wetlands. Uh, just to put up an office is, is a disaster because you have to do a lot of mitigation. And since there is no real population around, um, there's no point even putting up an office there because if you put an office, nobody will come there. And so why buy this land? It was land bought for the... Ex Everything that you should not do, or maybe I should write that book, what you should not do uh, in real estate. Because when you learn not what not to do, you I think you'll do everything else the right way. Uh, so that was everything, a classic textbook case of how not to buy a property. Um, so it boils down to location, right? Location, location, location. Right. That's it was what in real estate. And so if you, I mean, there's not much you can do with that location unless things change drastically in, in the community. So how do you find property? What are your what are some of the criteria that you use? Distressed properties, um, uh, income properties. Like, yeah. How do you find properties? So over the years, I've worked with different brokers who uh, kind of have access. They have all these you know systems um, on which all the new properties that come on the market uh, you have access to, so they'll bring them to you. But then you have to have certain exclusivity. Uh, I know of certain brokers who don't, what is it called, MPS systems or MLS systems? M MLS. MLS. So everybody, whenever a property comes to market, all the brokers put it on there. I also like to deal with brokers who are outside the system, who work kind of subliminally. Uh, and so then you get access to properties early on where once it goes in the market, it goes crazy, right? Everybody's going crazy with it. What you want to do is early on, you want to know, you have to have an idea of what is coming on the market. And if it's the price is right, then you want to just take it right there at that time. So you don't want it to come on the system. But for that, you have to have deep roots in the 
real estate uh, community. And I will tell you, I mean, there are very few brokers that I have found who are, and I, I probably it's just uh, me, but very few brokers who will work with you in a very conscientious manner. The, the challenge here is the, the goal of the broker is not to get you the best deal. The goal of the broker is to get a deal. So, and a great example is suppose it's $100 and the broker is 5%, they get $5, right? But if they don't work hard and you, you have to pay 102, they're only going to get a little bit increased. So they have no incentive. Or if you get it for 95, they're still going to get 4.7, 4.8. So to them, it's not that margin is very little, but to get that big chunk, they want to get the deal done. And so I'm not saying everyone is like that. There are many brokers who are not like that. They're very conscientious, good brokers. And then there are some brokers who are uh, poor in due diligence. They don't care if the due diligence has been done correctly or not. And that's where you get in trouble. These wetlands, mm-hmm. um, research with the county, making sure you can get a permit. All this has a methodical approach. Just like the checklist uh, manifesto, you have to have a checklist. You go one by one by one that you make sure that the property is clean. Because once you buy it, you cannot sell it so easily. That's a challenge with the property is, unlike cash, um, it is not as easily tradable. You can't even do it uh, on a stock market. Okay, you made a wrong deal. Okay, get it out. Take your losses. Here you can't. It is Once you're stuck in it, it will take a long time to sell. And if there is a defect in it, major problem, then you have to disclose it, and then it becomes a massive asbestos. Uh, what is that? Iridium, radium, yeah, radon, yeah. what is that? Radon, radon, radon gas. Yeah. All those issues, you have to do proper diligence. Wetlands, sinkholes, um, because if you got it, if you have it and you don't disclose it, then you're liable. For it. Yeah. And I, and I had some experience with some wetlands where we have to actually talk to the Environmental Protection Commission yeah. in order to to get approval to be able to pull, build structures on a on a piece of property, and that can be very costly and it can also be time consuming. So yeah. if you think you can, you know, build an office building within six months, you know, with EPC, yeah. it may take a year, yeah. two years. Yes, yes, and, and yes. And to add on to your question. Um, also, some connections with the banks, bankers who deal with foreclosures, sometimes helps physicians have good relationship with banks. Then there are uh, records you can get from the court where are there are distressed properties, but that's a lot of work. So I couldn't do it. There are some people who look at those distressed properties and they go go through all those records, and then they find uh, properties that are on auction. Uh, that's another way of of getting properties, but. Uh, you know, these are different, different options that you may consider. So it sounds like you, you have to have a good broker relationship or someone that, that you can trust that can do that due diligence. But, you know, I, I know you and there's there's a little bit more to that because I know that there's certain properties that you buy that seems like you always make money off of them. So is there a over overwhelming theme in properties that you're buying for practices that you could say, yes, that's what I would do. So now, see, I'm going to break my own rule. We said it has to be a separate business, business separate in itself, right? Mm-hmm. But when I look, when I look for uh, a location, I don't look for land or property per se. My first goal is 
where would a practice make sense? Because we are still the practice is what will, if the practice is strong, it will feed the, the, the property. So um, you have, you see the map behind me, every zip code, mm -hmm. uh, probably a little more compulsive than you would like someone to be, but every zip code, how, how many members, the streets, everything is mapped out. You can look at, so a mastery of your geographic area. I'm not saying master all Florida, that's excessive. But Hernando County, you, you master the location. You have to be like a Napoleon, right? How did Napoleon win the wars? Napoleon knew, was master of geography. He knew mm -hmm. every nuance of, of the terrain. And then he knew how the weather was. In fact, we can somebody talk about his, his war. Several wars he worked, won, because he knew the terrain better than the enemy. And he even knew what time the sun comes out and what time the fog dissipates. And uh, so, again, we'll talk about it someday. But okay. learning from him, you have to know how many cars are passing by on your, on the street, how many yeah. footfalls. Um, if you're in a big plaza where there's publics, how many footfalls are there? How many people live around you? How many Medicare eligibles? If you're into a Medicare asp uh, business, if you're Medicaid, then how many Medicaid pop, uh, uh, patients? And then how many other physicians are around and how you can leverage that. So yeah. that thought process, now if the thought process comes out, say, okay, I want to practice here. Now you start looking at the real estate. And then you may find subliminal, or as George W. Bush used to say, subliminal uh, properties <laughs> that you can start. Then you start looking around. See, the real good properties don't come in the market and you buy them. My experience, of course, but sure. not... Don't take that as a blanket statement. There are some great properties we got on, that are on the market that came on the on MLS system. But a lot of times you start, start prodding, poking around. Someone is here, an elderly gentleman who has a house there, an elderly lady who wants to sell her home and has been has a dream that her home will become something new because her mom lived there. And suddenly you say, "I want to put an office there." Boom, you got the deal. And so. Things happen. You just have to figure out, meet people, creative real estate. How can you be creative with real estate? And that's something I learned from my employer. He bought a piece of property, I think 10 acres. Uh, within one month, he had sold, carved out a carved out area of one uh, acre for 1 million. So whatever he had taken, 1 million to buy those 10 acres, he sold that one acre and he paid off and nine acres are free, right? A lot of creativity. Um, he picked up a big chunk because that big chunk, what am I going to do with the big chunk? But he knew that it wasn't a proper, that corner was important. So he sold the corner. Now he mm -hmm. has nine acres sitting free, right? Yeah. So same thing we did in uh, Citrus around the hospital. What was that? Seven rivers or uh, Christ in Crystal River. Uh, there was, I think, one acre or two acres. But then there was a whole block of 10 acres around it. And there are homes, all homes. Old homes, they for 30, 40 years. We just bought one by one by one. We bought all homes. We, we packaged them in with that one acre property. So we got 10 acres. Now think about it. 10 acres, complete block next to the hospital. Yeah. Right? So you have to think like that. And how can I, how can I creatively pull this property or, or our own plaza? You worked here in our plaza. Uh, it was a condo and we bought uh, bought the hardware store, which was in the middle, 
8,000 square feet. We got it when nobody would support us. Nobody would believe in us. We got, uh, we were lucky to get those eight. First step is very difficult. Um, and uh, we were lucky to get that. Then we bought the rest of the plaza. Then we bought the one third acre in the front. Then we bought the one third acre in the back. And now you have enough parking. You have enough uh, shops. You have enough uh, uh, area that you can provide uh, care for patients in. So creative real estate. You got to think outside the box. Yes, you can do cut deals fast, but here, if you if you approach it in a methodical way, you can you can do a lot of good things. So so you're 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 talking about commercial properties. You're talking about putting practices and buying land and and developing land. But how are you mortgaging these? How, how are you paying for this? Is it the practice paying for it? Are you getting private loans? Or uh, how do you go to a bank and say, I want to buy 10 acres? Yeah. So I don't do a lot of speculation. I've been very careful with that. And you have seen in the last 20 years, you know, the market has gone like this. 2007, almost like the bottom fell out of the whole real estate market and everybody got in trouble. And, you know, everybody thought I was a genius because I sold all our properties right before it crashed. All our real estate. Did you really do that? You saw That 10 acres I talked about, the hospital, right next to the hospital, I sold it. Brooksville, oh. we had a bank building. Oh, these are beautiful properties. I, I absolutely <laughs> cried when I sold them. But I, I sold them. Uh, county line, we had nine acres. Again, I cried. We had four acres, right, at 50 and 19 beautiful pieces but mm -hmm. see warren buffett has a very beautiful saying when everyone is greedy then be very afraid and when everyone is afraid then be very very greedy, greedy. <laughs> so um every the market was exploding everybody was had become a real estate maven and they were buying things, and I, we knew it was not the right time. So I got rid of everything that was. So anything that was held as land, which was not in actual use, we got rid of. Okay. Um, and the reason is this. See, the advantage of having a practice and a real estate business at the same time, the property is a real estate business, is it doesn't matter if the market goes up and down. If the fundamentals are right, your practice will continue to sustain your real estate. Right. So if you do that right and if your practice is cash flowing properly, it'll bear your real estate. Now, mm -hmm. uh, originally, of course, I went and got mortgages. Uh, banks were very were not interested in helping um, this hardware store that we bought at the last moment. The bank pulled out. Nobody would guarantee it. Fortunately, we were able to get sympathetic friends who bankrolled it, kind of guaranteed it. And that's how we got our first property. And once you're able to turn one thing around, then you can keep getting more and more and more. Uh, initially, suggestion is take small pieces. Now, don't go for the three million, four million, five million dollar properties. Go for two hundred, three hundred thousand, four hundred thousand. Because your practice, if you're starting a practice, if it's small, do small, and then slowly, slowly build on it. Real estate is a is a consistent, long term process. Fifteen, twenty, thirty years. Consistency means a lot. So to answer to your, your question, yes, banks have bankrolled it, uh, mortgaged. We've taken the mortgage, and the mortgage is paid really by your practice, the cash flow from yeah. the practice. But the fundamentals have to be right. You don't artificially increase the rent just to pay off your mortgage. That's not very mm -hmm. wise. You do it, tweak it in such a way 
that your rent should be enough to pay for the mortgage as if you were buying from as if you were renting from someone else and you have mm-hmm. to keep the properties uh, the practice entities separate the corporations or the partnerships have to be separate don't mix the two that would be a disaster because yeah. if you have any lawsuit one side or the other whether on your property or in your practice then they can own your your whole thing but if you keep it separate then even if you have a lawsuit in your practice they cannot go after your property and so that brings up one of the, the thoughts I had was about owner-occupied versus tenant-occupied. So you can buy the practice and you can lease it to another physician or own it for yourself. And I know that banks are more favorable if you actually are occupying the facility. So yes. how does that work with if your practice doesn't necessarily own that building, but you're leasing it out to someone else? Then the numbers have to be really good. Okay. Numbers have to be so good that banks don't worry about it. Banks may not give 80%, may give 60%. They have their different gotcha. rules. But the numbers have to be so good that you can put down 40%, 30% and justify itself. Or you mm-hmm. find a, a reason where the banks like you to occupy 50% or more. And okay. and if you do, then it becomes easier for them because they know your business, especially if you've been here for a long time, your business is good. And healthcare has been a strong industry you know, last 15, 20 years, it hasn't gone down. I don't expect it to go down anyway. Sure. Yeah. And what about sharing space with other doctors and trying to, Yeah. because I know that there was one time I tried to do that and you were leery about self-referrals or sharing patients or what, can you give me some insight on? Yeah. So can it's, you give it's, us some insight? Yeah. So the tricky part is if you are renting someone and if if they are generating referrals for you, then it could be seen as inducement. Um, if you remember the case we had about, what, 15, 20 years, 20 years ago or so, where some physicians rented space to a lab, a Clearwater mm-hmm. Lab, if you remember. And they got the attorneys blessed it. They gave, a, gave them a letter, an opinion letter that was clean. The, the lab was paying them money. And then when the oh, uh, attorney general's office went after the lab, the first thing the lab did was, okay, all these people, these I've been paying them uh, rents. I have their offices, and the understanding is they will refer patients to me. So what happened? The lab got out because you know it kind of became a, a, what is the term? They started sub- helping the attorney general's office in their investigation. So suddenly mm-hmm. they have bailed out, and all these physicians are on the line. And the attorney general's office is very happy because yeah, wow, we can showcase now how many big fish we have caught who were abusing the system. And what rent are we talking about? Five In those days, 20 years ago, I think it was $400 for a small room, $350. But the mistake they made was they got some tickets for hunting clubs or some special tickets, some games. And once you do that, you get in trouble with. And these physicians lost their licenses and yeah, went to jail. It was, it was not good. So you're talking about a physician who rents space from a lab, but then also uh, receives things from the lab. They were, they were renting space? space to the lab. To the lab. Mm-hmm. They're renting space yeah. to them, but then guess what? All their patients are going, and it's convenient, right? To go all the patients go here, right here, right? And so mm-hmm. the lab was conveniently turns around and said, "No, it was not a fair market value arrangement. Uh, it was uh, an inducement-based arrangement." We have seen a podiatrist, right? A podiatrist in uh, Newport Ritchie 
who was doing research for um, uh, a wound care company, and they used these special dressings on the wounds, especially the feet, and he got $300 for research for every patient. Well, the research was really, you know, kind of not really research. And then when the feds found out what happened, they went after the lab. The lab immediately said, okay, these are the guys who get paid. That's inducement. And the physician had to give up his license. Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah. So be careful with that. Absolutely. Uh, And so back to real estate. Yeah. So what's the one thing you would tell a physician about commercial real estate that would help them make their lives easy and and uh, avoid some of these um, crazy things that you're, you've, you've just described, especially for new physicians. So a new physician listening to the podcast today, how do they potentially get involved? What's the one thing you would tell them? Um, one thing if I have to tell you, never be cash poor. Don't leverage yourself so much into buying real estate that you have no cash and you're totally dependent on month-to-month cash flow to survive. I've seen too many physicians get into trouble. Oh, their practice is doing well. Oh, suddenly, oh, look at this restaurant available for sale on, uh, what is that, uh, the the road going on 50 going to the to Pine Island. And they buy this great restaurant uh, and the restaurant suddenly three months later bails out on them. And for five years, six years, they have not found another restaurant no willing to go mm-hmm. there. Market has changed. You've seen how the area has changed. There are so many national level restaurants around. Nobody wants to go to that mom and pop restaurant anymore. And that property has totally gotten dilapidated. Do not become cash poor. I made the same mistake. I, I love real estate. So I bought so many properties. And guess what? Suddenly, I didn't have, I was living month to month. I said, Oh my God, do I, if I don't get a good uh, income this month, how do I pay off my mortgages? So yeah. never become cash poor. Always keep that margin, have that discipline. You're not going to lose um, your whole career or your whole business if you don't get that one deal. There is no such thing as that one deal that'll make you or break you. It doesn't exist. It never has existed. It never will exist. And if it happens, it happens. Great. But don't go crazy on any deal that you have to make happen. Uh, if you yeah. do go with that mindset, you're going to get in serious trouble. Yeah. So there may be hospitalist physicians out there, uh, hospital-based physicians who don't have a practice. They're worked, uh, working for the hospital, but they want to get into commercial real estate. And, you know, some of them are making good income. Yes. What would you what would you tell them? Then you have to approach it again as a business. You have to make sure that um, you look at the cash flow. Most important thing, cash flow. Suppose mm-hmm. it, the it's valued at uh, hundred thousand dollars, and your cash flow is zero. It may be a great deal. If it doesn't make money, what's the point? Unless yeah. you're going to be able to turn it around, right? Um, so yeah. there is no such thing as as a, a, an amazing deal. There's no such thing. You have to work hard. You have to look at it. There may be deals where the property is overpriced. You know it's overpriced, but the cash flow is so strong that it can sustain you. And we have done those too. And if your cash flow is able to sustain you, guess what? In three years, you have refinanced the property, you have paid off everything, and you're in a great position. 
you have to do your due diligence. Cap rate is a concept that often comes. And cap rate is basically what it means is your return on investment. Suppose you put $100 in, you bought the property for $100, whether through a mortgage, whether you put your own cash in. And if you got $8 every year as profit, cap rate is 8 So if these physicians who are hospitalists want to buy real estate, then they have to study the real estate. They have to look at what the value is, what are the costs, including everything, your taxes, your utilities, your pay amount for roof, for the roof, for the parking lot, for the sign, everything you have to, uh, for the handyman that you're going to bring, all those things. And then you have to look at what you're going to, what will be the actual cash flow. Ideally, physicians should get someone who knows how to manage the property. Physicians are not good property managers and and just like property managers are not good physicians. Uh, So you get good property managers who are thorough, who are diligent because there are laws about it. you know if the land uh, the tenant doesn't pay you can you kick them out they have their rights right they have to send proper notices at the beginning of the month you have to send them a, a letter if they're not if they're not within seven days they have to get a letter that they're not paid uh, and then it has to be followed up you have to uh, you no know, everything has to be documented just like in, yeah. in medicine if you don't and you suddenly after a month say okay you didn't pay anything you're out um, that's not, they're going to fight it and you may lose. So proper documentation, a system, pre- preferably a software to manage properties. Yeah. Well, this has been a great conversation, Dr. Singh, and uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. And I know you're busy. And uh, can I invite you in advance to talk about managed care next time? <laughs> Absolutely. I, I would love to. There is so much to talk about real estate. We can go on for another couple of hours. But I think that should be good. I think people should read uh, and uh, do research. And there are some very good books on how to do good real real estate properly. Keep learning. Keep asking the experts. Keep researching and never be complacent. And thank you. Thank you. All right. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. What a great episode of Dr. Singh. And I uh, so appreciate him spending time with us and uh, you know giving, him, giving us his pearls of wisdom on uh, real estate and medicine. And uh, you almost need a glossary to go over some of the, some of the things that we talked about. And uh, I'm certainly going to have a uh, blog post that um, kind of details some of the things that uh, he discussed in this uh, podcast. But uh, I certainly do um, recommend that if you are a physician looking to get into medical or looking to get into any type of real estate, that you find a good mentor, you find someone that's done it before you, you find a good realtor, uh, and, and really think out of the box. Uh, because that's what's going to to kind of differentiate differentiate yourself and be able to get you uh, some good income property. And um, for sure, I I know that um, if you have the opportunity to to buy a building where you're practicing in, that is really one of the best things you can do as a physician. So because uh, you know sometimes people think that the practice is worth what it's worth uh, based on the patient population, based on the equipment in there. But really, uh, the practice is the real estate. If you can own the real estate and um, have that that address that patients know about and can come to and, and then grow your practice around that address, uh, pay off your, your mortgage early, and that gives you a passive income. And uh, that will help you practice impossible. So uh, don't forget to subscribe, share this podcast with your friends, and... Uh, Thanks for listening and uh, see you in two weeks.